To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey. Amen. As we begin this new year and focusing on God's Word, uh, it's really important. Uh, you heard some about MOVE. I'll say something more about that in, in a little bit. Uh, also, you heard mention of a couple of groups that we have heading out on mission trips this week, one to India, one to Mexico, and uh, we want to be praying for them. And uh, we got uh, also at the end of the week, we got our Starfish Kenya giving total for Christmas Eve and, and that period, and I wanted to share that with you this morning. That total is $244,061.14. Yeah. That is our highest Starfish Kenya offering ever, and uh, almost a quarter of a million dollars that you gave. And it's so cool because uh, just uh, into the week, we got an uh, email from Moses who's running that, and, and one, they were showing children playing on new playground equipment that our summer kids club raised money for, and the kids were so excited, and they're also welcoming in several dozen new children coming out of very challenging circumstances to be able to house them and feed them and teach them and love on them and share the love of Jesus Christ. So yeah, it's really fantastic. Let me pray. I just want to pray over that and over those, those, our mission team members. Gracious God, thank you for the privilege we have of stepping outside of ourselves for the sake of others. And I pray for those going to India, those going to Mexico and and for all those who have given in various ways for the children in Kenya. We pray for all of these. We pray for their endeavors. We pray for those, the safety of those traveling. And we pray that you will use this for your glory. That all people would be pointed to you and know that you are a good God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, several years ago, a um, battleship headed out on a training mission. And uh, the visibility was poor, there was a lot of fog, and so shortly after dark, a lookout reported light bearing on the starboard bow. And the captain called to the signalman, signal that ship, we're on a collision course, advise you change course 20 degrees. Well, very quickly a signal came back to the battleship, said advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. Captain didn't like that. He said, send this. I'm a captain. Change course 20 degrees. Came back the reply, I'm a seaman second class. You'd better change course 20 degrees. And by that time, the captain was furious. He said, I'm a battleship. Change course 20 degrees. And came back the signal, I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> and the battleship changed course. You know, sometimes we think we're on the right path. We're, we're confident in our authority to make decisions, only to discover there is a higher authority. And, and if we don't align with that higher authority, we'll break upon the rocks of life. One of the issues of life that all too often we don't give enough thought to is, is this. What is my ultimate authority in life? What do I answer to? Am I my highest authority or is it my husband or my wife or my parents or my boss or my, my finances or what others think about me? And just like in, in a business, there are levels of authority. 
And so one question every Christian has to come to terms with at, at some point is the level of authority that, that the Bible has for their life. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, I understand that may not be an issue for you. You may not, may not think about that. But for those of us who are, who have pledged that Jesus is Savior and Lord of our lives, we have to ask ourselves, how authoritative is God's Word for my life? The idea that a book could have any authority over our lives is really pretty countercultural if you think about it. Uh, yet the Bible's authority, the Bible's authority comes from the authority of God Himself who stands behind it. Seminary professor David Watson talks about a couple of kinds of authority. One is what I'll call positional authority. And that means, for instance, a manager at a workplace has authority and decision-making responsibilities over an employee simply by virtue of her position. She's been invested with that authority by a higher power, such as the company president. And, and this kind of authority is typically kind of imposed on us. We don't have much say about it. It just is. But ideally, she has not only positional authority, but also earned authority through her qualifications, through her experience, through her training, through the way she's treated people and the success she's had, so that when she leads, it's with authority because she knows what she's doing. She does it well, and she's respected for it. She not only has authority over an employee, but she leads with authority because of her effectiveness. And this, this kind of authority is typically relational as we get to know someone, as we come to trust them. And so in much the same way, when we talk about the authority of Scripture, of the Bible, we mean it has, first, positional authority in our lives to lead us, to guide us how we're to live. The authority of Scripture flows from the authority of our all-powerful, all-knowing God who created us, who redeemed us on the cross through His Son, Jesus Christ. But as we engage Scripture in our lives, as we, we read it, as we listen to it, as we submit to it, many of us recognize that it not only should have authority in our lives, but that in fact it speaks with authority to our lives, earned authority because it addresses real life with real answers that we are discovering really work. The Bible says all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture is God-breathed. That's what Scripture says. It is inspired by God, but at the same time, it is also profitable for living our lives well in ways that have value, that have meaning, that have significance. So Scripture has authority because it's God-breathed, but it also speaks with authority into our lives. Because as we allow its positional authority in, as we begin to conform ourselves to it, even if we don't fully understand, we discover that it transforms our lives so that we are more and more willingly submitting to it as earned authority, as authority that, that really works, that we want to follow. Not just that we feel obligated to follow. God seeks to 
to wield authority in our lives through the Bible. And not just because he can, not just because he created it all, not just even because he says so, but because he loves us. We sang that. He loves us, he cares for us, and he has great plans for us. And so he refuses to stand back and watch us waste or mess up our lives or miss out on his best for you, for me, for for everyone is his goal, his desire. He really is like a loving parent who uses their authority for the for the best for their child, even if at times the kid doesn't get it, even if at times we don't get it. And so as we spend more and more time with God's Word, we begin to recognize how, how true it is for the best living of our lives. But, but to say the Bible is true, like it's an amazing new revelation to us, is to miss part of the point of authority. I, as I was reading this week, one of the writers I was reading said some, some of this, and, and God said more, and it just kind of really struck me. The God of the Bible revealed in his son Jesus Christ doesn't just teach us things that are true. The Bible says he is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, we don't judge whether what Jesus says or the Bible teaches is true or not. If we are followers of, of Jesus Christ, if, if, if we have committed our lives to Jesus as Savior and Lord, it is truth, rather, by which then we judge whether anything or everything else is, in fact, true. And that's a, that's a distinction you may not have thought of before. But that's what it means when we say the Bible is authoritative and we submit to it. It's not just that we're checking out the truth claims. It is that we come to believe that it is truth. And therefore, we understand it will be true. And yet that doesn't mean that every word has equal authority. Though every word matters. We, we have to look at the whole picture, the big picture, and allow the Bible to interpret itself. We take a risk when we take passages out of context. It's like the guy, story of the guy who was feeling down, and he, so he opened his Bible randomly kind of to a page to, to see if God would speak to him, and right off the bat, he put his finger on the verse that said, and Judas hung himself. Well, he didn't like that, so he, he did it again, and he put his finger down at random, and he said, and it said, go and do likewise. Now he was really getting nervous, but he decided one more time to give it a shot, and he did, and when he did, it said, what you must do, do quickly. <laughs> See, the truth of the matter is the Bible isn't simply one uniform body of teaching with every part interpreted the same way. Because the Bible is made up of, of books and writings that are, that are history and prophecy, that are poetry and songs, that are letters and wisdom sayings and more. History relates facts. It tells what happened from a perspective. But poetry, poetry may use hyperbole or exaggeration or figurative language. And you would never interpret poetry the same way you would interpret history. And then we have letters, which only allows us to see part of a bigger conversation. In the early years of my reading through the Bible, as I was reading the book of Job, I, would, I read, and, and the first couple of chapters is kind of an intro and what's happened to Job, and then 
three of his friends come to be with him. And at first they do great. They don't say anything. They just suffer alongside him. But then for about 30 plus chapters, they tell Job what he's doing wrong. And you know, some of it sounds really good. Some of it sounds like, you know, that's something I kind of need to tell a friend of mine. Until I get to right at the end of Job and God comes and he confronts them and he says, you know, the stuff you said about my friend Job is wrong. So does that mean I can go into Scripture and take some of that middle stuff and just, because it says something I like, or I want to beat someone over the head with a Scripture, I can pull it out of there, not looking at the context. When in fact God has said, yes, it's Scripture, but it's not what, it was not said rightly about my man Job. We need to be aware of, of the type of literature we're reading in the Bible and its context so that we can interpret it correctly and apply its authority accurately to our lives. What's more, the Bible is ultimately a story of God's seeking us out and redeeming us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so as a story, like any story, that means it has movement. It has a beginning. It has a middle. It has an end. It's, it's sort of like, you know, taking the middle and assuming that's the whole story. It's like watching the very first Star Wars, which is number four, not number one. And early on in there, you, you've got Han Solo sitting in this little cantina, and there's a bounty hunter named Greedo sitting across from him. And as you watch that scene, and Han ends up shooting Greedo. And by the way, there's some controversy about who shot first. Lucas changed the story. Anyway, that's a, whole different, that's a whole different thing. But the point is, if you watched that, if that's all you saw, you'd think, this Han Solo guy, is not, not, he's not a good guy. He's not somebody I want to trust. He's not somebody that I can feel good about. And then by the end of the movie, he's a hero. He's a general. And we see that continuing on through the, the later stories. Likewise, the Bible unfolds before us across thousands of years. The story isn't complete when, when God floods the earth or the angel of death passes over the Egyptians or God allows the Babylonians to, to destroy Jerusalem and the temple. As a story, each passage, each book, builds on those that have come before, progressively revealing more and more of God and His plan for planet Earth and for us. And so some folks want to dismiss the Old Testament. We want to throw it out. I don't like some of the things it says. I don't, some of the language or some of the things that happen, they're hard to understand. But the Old Testament lays the foundation for the New Testament and all that Jesus does. In fact, Jesus himself said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. And that was a way of him talking about what we would today call the Old Testament. He said, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. We, we can't fully understand who Jesus is and why he matters apart from the Old Testament. We need the whole picture to understand why some foods are outlawed early on in the Old Testament, but by the time the story progresses and we get near the end of the New Testament, they're okay to eat. Does that mean they, something changed? Yes, something changed. And there's a story behind it. There's a reason that it happens that way. 
N.T. Wright offers this analogy. He says, when travelers sail across a vast ocean and finally arrive on the distant shore, they leave the ship behind and continue over land, not because the ship was no good or because the voyage had accomplished their purpose. During the new dry land stage of their journey, the travelers remain. And then he says, and in this illustration, must never forget that they remain the people who made that voyage in that ship. In other words, when we say we are people of the book, when we say we are followers of Jesus Christ, the Old Testament is a part of our story of how we got here. It doesn't mean everything continues to have the same authority, but as you read the story, you see why it changed. You see what happened. You see what Jesus did. The Bible is a story that progressively reveals what God wants us to understand and use in our lives with parts building on earlier parts or later parts clarifying some of the earlier parts. Honestly, the Bible isn't a book meant for us to cherry pick the parts we like or want to read. God gave us the entire Bible. We call the whole thing the Word of God. Not just the New Testament, not just the words of Jesus. The whole thing, the Word of God, the whole thing and the testimony is that all of it has authority for our lives i mean imagine you're taking a test on a book where you only read the first quarter of the book there are going to be some big points you missed or if you just read the last quarter of the book there are going to be some big points you missed you're not going to do really well on the test so the authority of the Bible for our lives is fundamental for disciples of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, at the same time, we can't just take a simplistic approach to its authority so that we take its truth out of context. Admittedly, that makes living as a Christian more involved than some of us have realized because it means that we need to spend time in God's Word. We need to read all of God's Word. We need to seek to understand it in its setting with the commitment that God's Word is authoritative for me, for you, for the living of our lives. If it is truth, listen, if it is truth, then even if you don't believe it doesn't mean it's still not truth. Even if you're not a Christian, it doesn't mean it doesn't apply. That's why we share the good news. That's why we, we create, we make Bibles to give to people. That's why we encourage people to invite others into Bible studies. Because often it's simply because we just didn't realize. We had no, no way to determine that it was truth. It won't always be immediately obvious why certain teachings matter. But because God sees the whole picture. Because his authority is positional, Because he is God, but it's also earned. We have seen it lived out time and time again and works that we dare not dismiss parts we don't like or we disagree with or we don't understand. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus used a great analogy of the authority of his word and the danger, and we choose not to live by it. In Matthew chapter 7, in what's called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, in other words, not just I acknowledge them and they sound good, but I acknowledge them, 
They are authoritative to my life, and I am going to live by them. Who does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. And you see, most of the time, what we build our house on, what we build our lives on, looks like everybody else's. And, and most of the time, it works out just fine. The location may not seem to really matter, just as building in a floodplain in Houston might have seemed great for decades. But what do we know now? Sooner or later, it comes back to bite us. Sooner or later, the storms come. And the thing is, the storms always come. The storms of hurricanes with the storms of life. And what you have built your house, what you have built your life upon, makes all the difference in the world. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow. But if you want your house to stand, it makes all the difference in the world. A conscious decision I made fairly early in my my Christian life was that I, I wanted to be a, 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 a really a disciple of Jesus. I wanted to follow him fully it, it, to the point where I, I said, I can't, I, I, I'm not going to pick or choose what I obey. I'm not going to say, well, I haven't been doing this and maybe he'll, God will wink his eye and say it's okay or I, I, I haven't been doing this because it's to my advantage and surely God will understand. And, and early on, I couldn't totally prove God's word was true. It was a faith statement. It was a belief. It was in watching others whom I had seen live this life and seeing th them trusting, and I trusted them. It was in hearing the word of God and, and understanding that if he is God and if he's done all this stuff, he should have authority. He, he should know what he's talking about. I chose to acknowledge the Bible's authority for my life because as the Word of God, it has His authority backing it, His wisdom infused in it, His teachings running through it, His Spirit revealing His truth to me. I, I realized that this was, again, it was a faith commitment, and then it started out more with God in kind of this positional authority. But as I lived, I've discovered more and more it's real authority. It's earned authority for, for my life. That it is, it's not just true. It's truth. And I can trust it. Even when I don't fully get it. Even when I don't even see the outcome in the next few weeks or months or years. Some of the things it taught me kept me out of trouble. But other parts forced me to change my lifestyle and patterns in my life. Because though at the time they didn't seem so bad or, 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 or whatever... I was committed. I was committed to the authority of God's Word. That's a decision, not a feeling. 
And with God's help, I, I changed some of the practices I did in, in my workplace. But before I ever felt called to ministry, before that was, I mean, I, I was fairly new in the church. I, I worked in, in a regular nine to, well, eight to five or whatever it was job. And as I read God's word, I had this sense that there were parts of the, the way I was being compensated, parts of the ways I did business that didn't line up with God's word. So with his help, I began to change that. And some people didn't understand. Some people thought I was weird. With his help, I chose to begin moving toward giving the full tithe of 10% of my income rather than giving God whatever I had left over at the end of the month. Because as I read his word, I read that was teaching me. And I was submitting to its authority. With his help, I, I chose to drop some words out of my vocabulary and, and, and stop watching certain kinds of movies because I believed God's word was authoritative for my life and I wanted my life to align with his word. Some of these things weren't that hard. I, they, they turned out to be pretty easy. But if, if we're honest, and if, if I'm honest, some of them really were. Some of them are things that I still have struggles with. And it's why the covenant service we used last Sunday morning, which we, which we placed on our website on the Find It page, if you weren't with us or if you had it, many of you came up to me afterwards and said, can we get a copy of it? So it's there if you want to take a look at it, if you want to use it as we start this new year. It's why that service is so meaningful to me. Let me just share one, one section of it. Let us give ourselves to Christ so that we may fully belong to him. Jesus Christ has left us with many services to be done. Some of these services are easy and honorable, but some are difficult and disgraceful. Some line up with our desires and interests. Others are contrary to both. In some, we please both Christ and ourselves, but then there are other works where we cannot please Christ except by denying ourselves. And so for me to submit myself to this authority, I made a commitment to begin reading and studying God's Word, to allow it to become more important to me, to become a part of my life, my routine. But it also meant that worship mattered more because God's Word called me to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so worship was a part of that. Not something that I did occasionally or when it fit my schedule or when I didn't have anything better to do. No, my schedule fit around God's worship. It was the defining point. It was what characterized my life and everything else bent around that. We wonder why we have no power of God in our lives when we, we don't allow him to be authoritative in our lives. It meant loving my neighbor by finding, by finding ways to serve, both inside the walls of my church at the time and beyond, in daily acts of kindness and love to those around me. It meant I needed a, a community of other disciples of Jesus. And, and being in a small group with others seeking to follow Jesus was even more important because they not only encouraged me, but they helped teach me and, and understand things that I didn't know yet or for us to have conversations, or us to even butt heads sometimes, and to hold me accountable when it wasn't easy or convenient. 
The Bible makes this claim, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Forever is a long time. It's a lot longer than my life. And so if I'm tempted to to renege on it here or there or back, back up, and it's a battle and it's a struggle, all I have to do is remember that forever and know that I don't get a pass. As I stated earlier, my conviction is that this statement is not simply true, but it's truth. And if it's truth, then regardless of my choices, sooner or later, my life will be judged by the truth. By the truth. As a disciple of Jesus, then, I willingly choose to align my life to Scripture, to acknowledge that every word of Scripture matters, that the Old Testament is important, that the Psalms are important, that some of the things that I struggle to read are important, even if I don't understand them yet, that the Bible has authority for my life because God really is God. I recognize Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. I I can never repay him for that. But I can follow him. I can obey him. I can trust him. It was interesting to me this week as I was looking, uh, looking for a passage. Uh, Paul says you were bought at a great price. But what I discovered is he actually wrote it twice in 1 Corinthians in chapter 6 and in chapter 7. In chapter 6 he said you were bought at a, at a price. Therefore honor God with your bodies, with how you live your life, with what you do. But then in chapter 7 he says you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. In other words, do not let other people and how they live their lives and what they think of you dictate where you're going to go, how you're going to live your life. We were bought by him. He paid the price for our sins. He is the one we obey. And I'm still on a journey of understanding and figuring out that and conforming my life to that. And and honestly, it'll never end until I meet Jesus face to face but it is a commitment of mine with God's help to continue living that way each day, every day. Scripture says, every word of God proves true. It is a shield. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And so we've made a decision as we enter this new year to be very intentional, very serious about helping us grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. And we don't want to just play games. We don't want to make it, we don't want to just give a pass and say, oh, just do the best you can. We want to challenge, we want to push for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of your lives. And so last week I introduced that here in January, starting on January 1st, we're going to be reading the book of Luke. Mike Janae talked about how great a book it is. And here's the thing. Today is January 7th. For some of you, you're hearing this for the very first time. Start today on Luke chapter 7. Tomorrow, read Luke chapter 8. Start wherever you are. One of the most freeing things I I ever read was in a book called The Divine Mentor. It talked about the the Life Journal daily reading plan. And it said one of the problems we get into when we're trying to read Scripture is if we get behind in a plan, we start to feel guilty. 
And then it starts to pile up, and we've got more to read. And so we, we try to read, and we get even further behind. And before long, we feel so guilty, we stop reading altogether. And he said, so the best thing to do is, if you get behind, let it go. And start that day right where you are. And that's my encouragement to you. That's my, my challenge to you. And as we do that in these coming days, it will prepare us as we move into the move study later this month to dive into reading James together. And we need many of you to be move group hosts so that, that others can join in in reading and studying God's word. And you can sign up for that this morning online or out of the Next Steps area or talk to somebody out there about it. Because here's the thing. If, if it is truth and if it is God's word and if it is authoritative for all of us, then not only do you and I need it, but every single person you know needs it. And so while it's easy sometimes to get a group of people from folks around you, maybe the thing that God is calling you to do and giving you an opportunity to do is to create a group with some of your coworkers and you meet at lunch one day a week and you watch the video on, on, on a computer. Or maybe he's, he's calling you to do it before or after school. Or, or maybe he's saying, why don't you... Do it with your family. Get your family together. Or maybe, why don't you open your home to some neighbors in your house and invite them in? And, and it doesn't have to be gateway people. Because if it's God's word and it's authoritative, it doesn't matter what church we're in. It matters if we're seeking. And there are too many who don't know God's word, who, who don't even know it has positional authority, much less has earned authority. And we have an opportunity as we study God's word together to allow this to happen. So I encourage you to do that. And to give you more help, we mentioned it in the video announcements. Every, everyone here has a membership, can have a membership to Right Now Media, which has thousands of videos, not just for children, but thousands of videos on the Bible and studying the Bible. There's some incredible ones that are overviews of different books of the Bible that are done creatively in, in five or six or seven minutes. And it's a great tool for you to help and to help others. See, we're doing this, we're talking about this as we start this new year, not to make resolutions, but to be disciples of Jesus Christ, to make a decision that I, I want to live differently. I want to follow him. I want to live his word, trust him. And the good news is Jesus tells us we're not alone on that journey. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As we start this year, I don't want, I think you don't want us to be the same old church where studying God's word is just something a few people do or when it's convenient, but that we are God's people committed to his word and allow it to be the authority of our lives because standing behind it is God himself. Because as we trust that, as we live that, we can make a difference in our families. We can make a difference in our neighborhoods. We can make a difference in our workplaces. We can make a difference in our community. 
And ultimately, we can make a difference across the world. Who would have thought 15 years ago we could raise nearly a quarter of a million dollars for children in Kenya? And you did it in one offering. With God, all things are possible. Thank you. The question is, do we submit to it? Do we submit to his word? Do we trust him? Do we walk that journey hand in hand with him? It's not just a good idea. Remember, Jesus says, whoever sees these things and does them is the one who built his house on the rock. Build your house on a rock this year. Grow it and let the storms come. Our prayer team's gonna be down here and they'd love to pray with you. Uh, they'll be on the farther edges and in about three or four minutes after the service ends, we're gonna also share communion. You know, there are two things that Jesus specifically told us to do. He said, go and make disciples and eat and drink this in remembrance of me. So these, these things aren't just nice ideas. They're obedience issues. They're, is it authoritative for my life? And so if you would like to participate in that, uh, if you have children in, in Gateway Kids, we invite you to go get them and bring them back. If you're up in the risers, we invite you to come down to the floor and in just about three or four minutes after the service ends, we'll begin communion as a way of being um, faithful and obedient. And I and some friends will be out here. If you're new, we'd love to say hello to you and welcome you. Would you join me, though, as we close in prayer? Gracious God, thank you for the privilege of being your children and you loving us so much that you, you don't let us get away with things that are going to ultimately be harmful. You point it out to us. You teach us. You've given us your word to show us. Father, sometimes the reading's tough. Sometimes it goes against what we're doing. It's a challenge. And if we think you're a vindictive God, then it's easy to set aside. But if we believe you are our creator and you love us, then your word is a light to our feet, a lamp to guide us, to show us the way. And we pray you would help us be faithful and trust you and dive into your word in 2018 like we never have before. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless y'all. See you next week.